How's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 232. I had a conversation with Father Mike. Father Mike is a Roman Catholic priest. He lives in Chino, California. And I drove up there and or over there. I guess it's sideways. I drove over there and had a socially distant conversation with him outside of his lovely home uh, there at the church. We had an incredible conversation. I really enjoyed it. We talked about everything, uh, philosophy and science and miracles and faith and loss of faith. And he went into the seminary as a very young man, and we talked about that process and that journey for him. I really enjoyed this conversation. He's a heck of a guy. Um, Can I say that? I think I can. (laughs) Really a wonderful man. Uh, I enjoyed it so very much, and I was honored that he took the time to talk to me. Uh, So yeah, I'm excited for you to hear it. In other news, social media, Hey Human Podcast, is on Facebook and Instagram. My personal social media, Susan Ruthism, is Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can email me, Susan, at heyhumanpodcast.com. And you can go to that heyhumanpodcast.com and find all sorts of things, including the links page, which has information from every episode about my guests and things we talk about and books I recommend and or they recommend articles, that kind of thing. So definitely check out the links page. The merch page, I now have merch, which is very exciting. It's an ad-free podcast. So to help support Hey Human, you can go get a Hey Human t-shirt or a pencil case or uh, there's even leggings. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff on there that I designed for you. So definitely check that out on the merch page there. Uh, secure and safe and all the good things that you want from an internet site. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to check out more about me, go to SusanRuth.com. I try to keep that website nice and updated. You can also join the mailing list on there. Uh, If you're into music, go to iTunes and check out Susan Ruth. And behold, there are four records that I have made. And uh, we're getting ever closer to the voting time for those of us in the United States definitely vote. Please do that. And to hear a song about voting that my friend Sammy and I wrote, it's very cheeky, uh, go to muskrats.com, M-U-S-C-R-A-T-Z.com, and check that song out. There's also a merch page on that website uh, for t-shirts and things that reference some particular lines in the song. So try to have fun with that check that out okay that's it thank you for listening i appreciate it um really excited about this episode and father mike uh yeah uh stay safe be happy be kind i love you i appreciate you and let's get into this here we go father mike welcome to hey human a pleasure to be here i'm so excited right now (laughs) I have actually, when I first decided to do this podcast, I made a list of people I wanted to speak with, and on that list was a priest. So it has been a four-year moment coming to just right now. So yay, (laughs) I'm excited. (laughs) Happy to be here. I've been a priest for uh, 48 years, Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm I'm a happy priest, so I'm I'm happy to talk to you and share. I'd like to start at the beginning of you. 
you grew up where and and was it a particularly faithful family that sort of thing mm-hmm. uh, I'm from Richmond Indiana uh, a Quaker town and the Quakers uh, not everybody's a practicing Quaker anymore, but there's a big Quaker college back there, Earlham College, and uh, the Quakers have had a long-lasting influence. There's lots of uh, respect and civility, almost never any bad language. Even saying damn it would be, was quite shocking when I was <laughs> growing up. We knew those other words, and we might have said them to ourselves, but really, even to ourselves, we didn't say them very much. There was a, a, a it was a very gentle, kind place to grow up. Uh, my mom was a Baptist. She became a Catholic when I was 10, I guess. My dad had been a Catholic seminarian, uh, studying to be a priest. And then during the World War, he'd been in the seminary maybe six years, and all of a sudden he, he just felt dissatisfied and, and probably felt like he needed to be part of the bigger drama going on in the world. So we, he left the seminary and uh, went, was in the Battle of the Bulge, came back, uh, came back all beat up uh, with his stomach outside his body and uh, from so much medication. My mom said he looked like a vampire. His eyes didn't have any pigmentation from all the medication and so forth. And uh, uh, he went to the war, uh, kind of a, a kind, civil, Quaker Catholic. He came from a Catholic family, but as I said, the Quakers probably had more influence in Richmond, Indiana than the Catholics did. He came back kind of um, angry and used bad language, which all the family remembers. They were just shocked to hear these words coming out of that, that GI's mouth when he got back. Uh, he didn't know whether my mother would would have him anymore. He left as a very strong, healthy man and came back with uh, 80% disability. It turned out he was a strong guy because he re- recovered completely and got his stomach put back in. And um, anyway, they they married and, and I'm their oldest son. How many siblings? After me, three girls. Oh. One every five years. Certainly not planned. There were some miscarriages on the way. They were Catholics don't do back in those days. Didn't do much planning of that for that sort of thing. Yeah, and so I, don't, I don't know that they do these days. <laughs> Maybe more than then, but uh, yeah. Uh, was it a, a a faithful household? Was there a lot of talk of God or religion, or was it just something that was an undercurrent? Um, I would say it was a faith-filled household. My mom didn't go to church with us. She kind of stayed at home. Dad went to church, uh, took me, and then took my oldest sister. Then after that, mom became a Catholic, then we all went. Uh, I, I remember about my dad, seeing him at night. He would always, before he crawled into bed, kneel down and say his prayers, and then get into bed. And um, that's, I remember that striking me. And uh, yeah, that's all I can. Did you talk about God with your parents? I mean, having witnessed a war, if there's ever a moment to doubt 
that there is a higher power, I imagine, being on a battlefield. Well, maybe it's that's an irony because you would be praying for your life, and yet to see the, the casualties of war, and I mean casualty in all the sense, you know, did he... I would say he was pretty guarded about it. He let me know he prayed, and we prayed together, although they were set kind of Catholic memorized prayers, ritualized prayers, about his experiences in the war and about his own personal spiritual life. He was very guarded. Uh, one thing I've noticed, people from Northern Europe tend to be very kind of uh, reserved about their religious life. I've always thought maybe it was because of the, uh, the Reformation and so much uh, public controversy and acting out and, and accusing and counter-accusing. Uh, people from the, the, like from Italy or Spain or countries where there, there wasn't a Protestant Reformation, religion tended not to be so polemic. So they were much more quick about sharing religious feelings or religious life. I'd say in my own home, no, we didn't do it. We went to mass. Uh, we almost never talked about the sermon afterwards or anything like that. It was just you went to Mass, you heard things, and then you went and you tried to be good. 47 years, you say you've been? Yes, a priest. It's, so the idea of going into the priesthood must have hit you at a pretty young age. What was your, do you remember, I know that's a long while ago, but do you remember your relationship with God as a young man? I, I do. As a, as a kid, I remember it very clearly. And some people become priests because maybe they have an, an, an innate liking of people and they want to do something humane and humanitarian. And so they're kind of drawn to that. It was not like that with me. I, well, I like people. I didn't hate them or anything like that. But uh, I had some experiences as a very young boy that have formed me and shaped me and nourished me for the whole rest of my life. Um, one took place, I remember when I was um, a second grader, when I was a second grader, um, oh, sister took us aside in the Catholic school and told us how much God loved us and, and uh, what a big heart Jesus had and it was full of love for us. And I can remember as a little kid uh, riding in the bus home and looking out the window and, and thinking I could see Jesus running alongside the bus outside looking at me in the eyes and smiling and I turned my eyes away and, and, and turned back to, oh, I saw him I saw him three or four times and it, I, there was something so good-natured about his face that it just warmed me up I, I, I don't think I've told maybe but one or two people that in my whole life but that it's so strange, and um, I have not uh, talked myself out of having that experience. Uh, I've felt like probably that was something God wanted to share with me, and I accepted it and, and liked it. Another experience, this was kind of the, the one that really formed me, I guess. I was, a, I was an altar boy, and I was in the sixth grade, and there was an altar boys meeting called for seven I guess anyway I misheard and thought it was at six so I got on my bicycle and rode across Richmond Indiana to get to church for the six o'clock meeting uh, when I found out I was an hour early I thought well 
I'll go over to my friend's house. They're probably still leading. Maybe I'll get there in time and they'll have dessert or something like that to go over to Gary's house. But I walk right by, next to the parish hall was the church. I walk right by the door and I thought, I'll go in and say one prayer, it won't kill me. So I went in to say one prayer just for one minute and just fell under some sort of a spell, but I was there for an hour. And at the end of the hour, I felt so good and so calm and so peaceful. And I, I remember being very surprised by it, and I didn't tell a soul. Uh, and I determined that the next time there'd be a server's meeting, I'd go there an hour on purpose and see if, if the same thing would happen, and it did. So uh, I would say some of the best praying I've ever done in my life was when I was a sixth grader. And it happened a bunch of times, and that's kept me through thick and thin for all these years. I'm, I'm now 74. As a sixth grade boy, the understanding of what prayer is, I imagine, is, is taught to you. You know, when you go to church, they explain what prayer is and, and how to pray and that kind of thing. But a, a child's mind is active and it wanders. And and I'm curious, if, if did you have a specific plan of prayer or did you just go in and... My specific plan was to go in, in and say, one, our Father, one, and, and one Hail Mary, and get the heck out of church so I could get to Gary's house before they stopped eating. <laughs> but uh, now that uh, sounds like a sixth grader. <laughs> yeah, but uh, and I'm I think way back then I wasn't even sure whether what I what had happened to me was prayer. I knew that there was God, and I knew that there was me, and I knew I was taken into something wonderful. Now, see, talking about it, I can still feel a little bit now, even just talking to you about it. Yeah. Did you know then that 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 at six in sixth grade, what you're eleven or twelve years old, and you think, I think I'm going to be a priest? Did that occur to you not, yet? Not right away. And in fact, I I um, I can remember th dreading the thought that it might mean I was supposed to be a priest. Back then, if you had experiences like that, if you were a girl, you were supposed to be a nun. And if you were a boy, you were supposed to be a priest because normal people didn't have those things. And uh, now it'd be very different, you know, where the Catholic Church is, is very clear about everyone's called to holiness. Everybody's called to a deep relationship with God. Um, I think back then, the kind of common sense of people was, you were supposed to have a relationship with God and you were supposed to be a kind, good person. But you weren't those kind of things that were just for priests and nuns. And I remember I, I didn't want to be a priest. I, I wanted to be uh, either, I wanted to be an archeologist and find treasure, or I wanted to be a teacher or a writer. As a, as a kid, I, I wanted to be, even before I knew how to put letters or words together, I would go around on a piece of paper and copy words like Crosley on the refrigerator and, and to write a book. Or so. I wanted to write or I wanted to teach, or uh, but I, I certainly, I found the idea of being a priest very distasteful. It meant I'd have to leave home. I didn't want to leave home. Uh, it would mean doing a lot of uh, pious things, and I didn't know then that what had happened to me was a pious thing. I, I, my idea of pious things was 
the Our Fathers and the Hail Marys and things like that, and I could do a little bit of it and thought like God deserved that, but not not going crazy and being a priest. I feel like an archaeologist, a writer, and a teacher are what a priest is. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got all three wrapped in one. <laughs> well, maybe. I mean, I have to think about that. Could be. Because, <laughs> I mean, in, uh, in your work, I imagine you dig up the past. It's just that the past are sto- the stories of the Bible or the or God's Word, or you know, and then you bring them to the present and share them. I, I don't know. I see the similarity there. Well, okay, it could be. Yeah. I mean, now that you mention it, in my room, I, I am sort of an antiquarian. I mean, I don't have priceless ancient things, but I've got an old coin or two or, or uh, something that I also, this is a odd thing about me. I'm drawn to um, thrift shops to buy clothes. And to me, if someone else has worn the shirt before me, uh, I find that attractive. I feel a link with that person and I kind of a respect that for what that shirt's been through and I like wearing it. So I, I mean, uh, and Catholicism is full of ancient things, dusty ancient things that uh, uh, sometimes, some of them anyway, appear kind of useless and eccentric and odd but if they're dusted off and looked at they're they're treasures they're they're strange wonderful things i've always been curious to ask this question of of a priest uh, or a nun really is that knowing the history of religion having uh, it has a pretty violent past all religions i mean uh not just catholicism you're not the only one at that party uh how does one, I, I'm trying to work it out on my own here to ask the question, do you put that into, well, that is, that's the human side of things. You know, humans tend to bastardize philosophical, ecclesiastical ideas to fit their own narratives, power and greed and oh, that yes. sort of thing. How did you come to grips with the history of a religion that had a bit of a, <laughs> you know, how do you come to terms with it with a history that that is so violent? I I'm I'm always curious to know how people of faith talk about that stuff. Yes, well, as a kid, well, I had no idea of the dark underbelly of and and that really the dreadful demonic side of Catholicism, which certainly exists. Um, I think because I went to Catholic schools and, and was I was just a little kid, uh, I was given uh, quite a, a remarkably uh, absurd picture of what the Crusades were or, or what the Inquisition was or all of this stuff. As I got older uh, and that stuff, if I if I had known that at the first, I would have been so repulsed I wouldn't have gone near it. Fortunately, I I didn't know what it was. Kind of like falling in love, you know. You you fall in love with somebody first, and and, and discover later there, there's a dark side to that person, like like with anybody. Mm-hmm. But you were naive enough to fall into love and set something beautiful in motion, and then faith and and compassion and energy comes and and brings you the rest of the way. Uh, I oh gosh, I, I I'd say I've been I been exposed to really 
dark elements in Catholicism, and, and um, uh, it, I wouldn't say it's one. It's not not part of its essential nature, but because people are human beings, uh, and also because there are certain things in Catholicism that makes us especially susceptible to some stuff. We believe that God comes so close to us, like, you know, Catholics believe we eat the body of Christ. And so what goes along with that is sometimes we, we think, because we're so close to God, probably we're God. Or, or you know, we, we take prerogatives to ourselves that belong only to God. I, you can see the people acting just ridiculously proud or ridiculously infallible or ridiculously whatever. Mm. I do think that knowing that everything has a shadow side would, I imagine, allow you to do your job better because we come imperfect. And if we fell under the assumption that we were perfect, well, I suppose we wouldn't need faith or someone to talk to or a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's equipped me to deal with the dark side in people a little bit and help them do it. I mean, there's you get into no end of trouble if you deny there's a, a dark side. You end up being preposterous and, and doing all kinds of odd suppression type stuff. And the, the dark side, if you don't deal with it and have a conversation with it, it's going to come up at very embarrassing times and lead you to do things that will appall you. Um, I mean, one thing of, of, in the, the New Testament, St. Paul says, where sin abounds, grace superabounds. So if, if you have this ship and it's just covered with leaks and it still doesn't sink somehow because of, of the goodness or, or holiness that's in it, that makes, that makes the grace or the goodness even more astonishing that the that something with as many skeletons in it as the Catholic Church could still be a place where people meet God or discover God. That's just astonishing. When neighbors come together in crises, I think it's a good example of that. Because yes. these days, especially, the idea of a neighbor is not what it used to be. Also, the Catholic kind of devotion to saints. Protestants sometimes, and rightly consider that it can be a distraction away from God or God's goodness, you know, but to Catholics, the, the knowledge that there really are people carrying around all their baggage that are saints, that to us is remarkable, and we revere them and, and kind of are fascinated by them and study them. Do you have any favorite saints? Let's Seems see. like a strange question, but I figure why not? <laughs> uh, yes, I do for kind of a strange reason. One of mine is Peter Claver, who was a Jesuit and lived at the was in over. He was a he was a person that could have been a scholar. Uh, uh, those Jesuits, and but he felt he was called to come over to the New World. Spain had uh, uh, was colonizing. Latin America, and ended up in, I think was in Cartagena, which was the big import place for all the slaves brought over before before they abolished slavery. Uh, and he was convinced they were, that, that uh, 
Africans were human beings. And he went into the, as the ships would come in, with all these people that had been, you know, manacled and held under under deck for the whole journey, and with with the the slop buckets and the people, you know, retching and stuff like that, he went in when people from the whole town would stay away from the port because the smell was so bad. He would go in with lemons, with oil, with little treats, and through interpreters tell the people they were welcome and that God hadn't abandoned them, and that they would. They would make their way here and and, and not to despair. And uh, I've always, I mean, I, I admire that. Oh, the personal reason I like him is, this is something kind of embarrassing about me, but I've been in parishes uh, uh, up in Salinas or whatever, there'd be a lot of people that they're homeless and, or wandering through or, or migrant workers or whatever, they had no place to bathe. And sometimes uh, the smell about them would be awful. And well, it wasn't their fault. What are they supposed to do? And um, one thing I inherit from my mother is I'm very um, pukey. Or if there's really a bad smell, it uh, makes me feel like throwing up. And I, I was so ashamed of myself for having that because I thought, you're not one bit better than these people. What are you doing feeling nauseated? But I couldn't talk myself out of it. I just and so anyway, I heard read about this saint, and I thought I'm going. To, this is another thing Catholics do sometimes. I don't do a lot of it. Mostly, I'm pretty Jesus-centered. But um, I asked Peter Claver to help me get over the bad smells because he went into the holds of these ships, and it didn't bother him a bit, or at least he just faced right into it and did it. And I and asked him, and and sure enough, I I got over the worst of it. So, yeah, he's, he's a saint for me. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> the saint of bad smells. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do dig saints. I, I, I mean, I find religions fascinating. I really do. I, I admire the tenacity, firstly, but it, it, I think that the world can feel quite hopeless and lonely. And so it's, it's lovely to know that there are, that there is something, no matter what your faith is. And, and I think even people who are atheists or people who, for, for them, science is their God, that brings them comfort. Oh, in, yes. In some and, way, you know? and they would give up their life for science. They'd be a martyr for science yeah. and, and so forth. Um, Paul Tillich, he's a... Uh, a Lutheran theologian of the the last century said that religions religion is anything that is a matter of your ultimate concern your what is your ultimate concern and that's your religion some people have a kind of a shallow religion or a very materialistic religion but everybody very often we're not reflective enough to know what our ultimate concerns are we think oh I, I have uh, 50 things I'm concerned about but if, if you have some kind of consciousness or reflection going on in your life, um, life will help you kind of discern and prioritize what is it that's really your deepest concern. And that, he says, is is your your religion, your religious value. Yeah, I mean, I know people that look to running as a religion. 
Oh, and, and, they, and they, reach a, they reach a state of ecstasy while they're doing it. Oh, absolutely. And might make fun of a, of a Catholic for giving up something for Lent, would, would think nothing of depriving themselves or fasting sure. or doing stuff like that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so interesting. You must have been quite young when you went into seminary then. How? Sorry about all the external noises. Oh, no, that's We're fine. outside and oh, everyone, yeah. so just FYI, that's the noises you hear. Um, how old were you when you entered seminary? Oh, so young. They don't wouldn't let anybody go into seminary that young anymore. I went out of eighth grade because that was what was expected. And that means leaving home. Oh, the, leaving the home. I, I didn't. Sometimes priests go to seminaries or seminarians I should say go to seminaries because their family is dysfunctional or because there's a great big baseball field at the seminary or something like that none of that stuff. I had a, a really a really good family life and I absolutely dreaded the idea of leaving Richmond Indiana and all my friends who were going to high school and were going to have this great time and here I was because of having had these experiences going to the seminary I mean and um, I would say to this day the hardest decision I ever made in my life was making myself go to the seminary out of eighth grade it was certainly the hardest thing and I oh I I cried like a baby when I left and my dad was kind of I remember was a kind of a, annoyed with me you know like for, for heaven's sakes and my mother was in the she didn't even come in the car to take me to the seminary she was and I know why she just said or oh, she didn't feel good but she was at home crying too and later she she'd become a Catholic by then but she um, she told me later uh, she said I thought to myself what have I done that my own son would want to leave home out of eighth grade she said I must have done something wrong I mean she didn't and, and I mean I but as I look back, I, I wouldn't recommend what I did for anybody. I wouldn't recommend it for anybody. However, I must say, um, for me, uh, it ended up being a good experience. It made me probably more self-reliant than I would have been. Uh, I had to turn to God for strength, and that probably brought me closer to God. It's. God brought good out of it somehow. And out, here's something, Susan, out of, let me think now, I must, I want to say this right, out of 126 people that entered the high school seminary, this was back in 1960, and that was kind of the high point of boys wanting to be priests and girls wanting to be nuns in the Catholic Church. Of all those people that entered, two got ordained a priest. Wow. Two. Now, there were people that came later and joined the class, but of the ones that joined right out of eighth grade of that class of 126, there were two of us. So it's, uh, it's amazing. As hormones started to hit you and the, the reality of you are in a human body and those sorts of things start percolating, in eighth grade, you're not, maybe you're there, but most people are not, you're just on the precipice, you know? Uh, did you think, oh man, this is gonna be hard, or did you just did you just know it was fine? I always wondered that. I mean, a life of, of 
staying away from the things that most humans are constantly falling into. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to be delicate here, but you yeah. know what I'm saying. Well, I can't yes, I do. <laughs> well, any, any conversation about right, me well. being a priest or how I became a priest always has to get on this at I least mean, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> right now, everyone is just cringing, like, oh my God, she's asking that question. No, I'll tell you. Um, first of all, they, Way, way back in 1960, if you were a little a kid in Indiana, it, the world was not as sexualized, and so we weren't really as in tune to this stuff going on. I would say I was somewhat of a late bloomer also. I mean, I wasn't just dying to have a girl. I, we had little tiny flirtations in eighth grade, I can re remember. But uh, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't anything very serious. Yes, of, I mean, of course, the the bell started ringing and the trumpet started blaring uh, later on in school. And um, I was, what was I? I'd say saved from a lot of weirdness that could have happened because of going home every summer and having three sisters who in our family we do a, a robust amount of teasing back and forth about about things and about going through changes and stuff like that and they, um, I would say we had some robust teasing maybe not from my sisters directly but some from from some of their friends I remember and otherwise I mean I'm the first to admit my my experiences growing up were very were very stunted and odd. I mean, that's just the truth. Yeah. <clears throat> when when a priest or a nun ha has a transgression, it must happen. I mean, mm -hmm. I imagine it happens. Is that it done? You no, no longer get to be a priest or a nun, or do you? Does it go before a? I, let's just put a consensual adult relationship. Let's take out all the any of the other possibilities just for mm -hmm. a moment. Uh, is that it? That's grounds for you're out of here, or no? Oh, no, okay. it's. Uh, uh, I mean, when part part of being a priest in the Roman Catholic tradition, one of the vows that you take is celibacy, and uh, celibacy is uh, part of celibacy is abstinence from sexual activity. Um, to oneself as well as outside of oneself. Yes, yeah. that's right. Okay. Okay, and the. I, I think probably it's 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 possible to say that very very many people fail in that respect aspire to it hold themselves accountable um, oh, I guess to be absolutely candid I uh, I would say I've gone over the fence not much but every time I have I've gone to confession and, and reconciliation because I, I I made promises, and I didn't make a promise as a little, you know, high schooler. I made my promise right before I was a priest. I was in my mid twenties, and well, I say I, whole, I know a whole lot more than I did when I was in my mid twenties. Nevertheless, I knew what I was doing, and I I intended to be faithful. Mm. I hear a kitty. Oh, Is that, that your kitty? That's the kid. That's Chuchula. Hi. Oh my gosh, you're beautiful. Hi, bud. What a cutie pie. That's a great face. 
That's you can't. The the cat is black with a little white around here. And I tell my friends he's a priest who misbehaved in a previous life <laughs> and came got sent back as a cat. I love it. I love it. Um, have you yourself had crises of faith? Uh, let yes. Maybe two. I mean, I think we probably priests go through the same kind of identity crises maybe that most American males would go through. You know, kind of something go at midlife when you sense that your, you know, the peak of your vigor is is uh, waning, and kind of taking looking at your life and 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 taking stock. But things that are maybe specific to being a, pri a priest a crisis. One crisis I, I remember having, uh, what brought it on? I was I was sent uh, to Mexico to live with a, a Mexican family and learn Spanish, and I stayed with this one oh this wonderful family. Three weeks a year, for six years in a row, three weeks in, in October November, I would stay with this family, go to school and live with them and just immerse myself in Spanish. Well, anyway, one time I was down in Mexico and it was there was some kind of festival going on and there were fireworks and we were so crowded that, we, you know, we were just you know, wall to wall people and right up next to each other, the way Mexicans like to be, you know, Latinos. And there was a little, a little kid, I felt him, he came, oh, came up to my waist maybe, his head did, he couldn't see anything. And his parents were there, they had three or four kids. And I remember asking him in my broken Spanish, I said, he can't see, do you care if I put him on my shoulders? I didn't you know, want to scare him. And they said, oh, you can. I had him up, up, uh, I mean, this is kind of bizarre, but I had him up at about the same height that I had the host up when I'm holding the host up at mass. And all of a sudden it struck me, why am I not holding my own child up to look at the fireworks. Why am I holding up someone else's kid? What what happened to my kids? Where are they? And anyway, the, uh, and that set me thinking because I was just of an age where my childbearing years were past, unless I found a, a cute uh, blind lady that would be a young lady to be willing to marry the 60 year old guy <laughs> so anyway that, that i did a little bit of grieving then over the the life that i didn't follow i suppose if that that could have been a crisis i guess of some sort or other another crisis i had as i look back there were both good things i mean they both kind of made me clarify stuff it was earlier than that and I was in the seminary, I remember, and we were at Mass, my mom, my dad, my three sisters, and I, there we were all in the row, and we were saying the creed. The creed is a part of the Catholic Mass. It turned into English already, where it said, um, we, it was, in those days it was we believe, instead of I believe as it is now. We believe in this, we believe in God the Father Almighty, we believe in, we believe, we went through all this, and I was about two-thirds of the way through, and I thought, do I believe these things? Do I believe, is it just a kind of opinion? Is this just information like I, I believe uh, 
London's the capital of the United Kingdom, or I mean, do I believe it so much? I uh, anyway, I what all of a sudden I, I mean, I just had this uh, very strong feeling like, well, you, you fool, what are you saying? You believe this stuff for if you've never thought about it, and I, uh, I knew I love God. But all that stuff in the creed, then I, I, I wasn't sure, and I left before the creed was over. I left, and I, I never. And my, I think my mom thought thought I was just like sick or whatever. And then afterwards, I told them, and of course they 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 weren't very happy to hear that, of course. But they listened. But I, and that set me up theology or reflecting about the mysteries of faith or that, that is a huge part of my life. That part of being a teacher or wisdom or knowledge or whatever, uh, part of me worshiping God with your with your mind is very important. I, I couldn't, for me, I, I just couldn't be worshiping God if my mind wasn't there too. That's God on the phone right now. Yes, it is. <laughs> Scam likely. <laughs> spam call. Yes. God is in the spam. <laughs> How do you feel about faith? What? What? Where are you with it now in your life? Oh gosh, it, uh, it's more important to me now than ever. I've been. You could probably tell from talking to me. I'm. I'm very happy. I, I've. I came from a happy mom and a happy dad, and I just don't. I, I know what it's like to be sad, and probably the the worst stretch of being gloomy I've had maybe was a patch of what may three weeks or something like that. I'm just. I don't believe in. I if if I was not happy, I'd I'd leave, because I, I wouldn't want to make other people unhappy, and I don't want to be unhappy. Um, it's the the. The faith that's been a cause of deep joy, and not—it's not happy like giddy all the time. I mean, I still I get get mad or get annoyed or get bewildered or this or that. But it basically, uh, faith is a bigger part of my life than ever. You've been around a long while now on this planet, and you have seen humans behaving nicely toward each other and quite poorly toward each other. I would say we're in maybe a a poor turn, um, although I do think there's more good in the world than bad. I'd like to think that. Um, when you speak with your parishioners, do you find that you have to go the extra mile to pull them up because of what's going on in the world these days? Or or is it in the... I know that how I feel. I, I don't go to church on a regular basis. I was raised in a, in a, my mother's Episcopalian, my father's Jewish, and I've told you this sort of aside, and my listeners have heard this a million times, that they said, these are all the, when I said, who is this Jesus guy? I was quite little. And they said, well, here are all the, here's all the information, all the, from mythology to, to major religions, to minor, to uh, long dead. And it was great, and they said, we support you, Whoever you want to worship or not, whatever you want to do or not, great. Which was wonderful. Um, when I go into, I can't remember if I told you this story, if I told Jessica, your cousin, this story. But I was on a trip. I was in Arizona. And uh, um, 
Sedona. And there's a church there. It's the Church of the Rock, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Do you know this one? I, oh, it's a great Oh, my Sedona goodness. It's beautiful. So there had been a donation to this church from, I believe, a bishop. This ginormous Jesus on the cross. Ginormous. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I think I'll go check that out. I've always liked, I've always liked churches and temples and things. I feel very something in them, you know? And I've had very interesting experiences in them as well. So I, I walk up this, the, the pathway, you know, up to the Church on the Rock. And for those listening, if you have not been there, it's literally a church in a rock. They've dug out the rock face, the side of this, this cliff face, and there's a church in there, a, a Catholic church. And I walk up and it's crowds of people with their cameras and this, that, and the other. And I'm get ready to walk through the door and I walk through the door and I look up. It brings up the emotion right now. In fact, burst into tears. I mean, just, just started sobbing. And I went and I sat down on the pew to myself and I didn't even care. I'm sure I looked like a lunatic to people around me, but I was so overwhelmed by all sorts of emotions. The, the sorrow of the world, the joy of the world, the love of the world, like all these things were just coursing wow. through me. And I am sobbing and I stayed in there for quite some time. And then I got up and collected myself and, and left. And it was, it was such an experience. And as I was walking out, I was looking around at all the other people and I thought, is, is it just me or is everybody having this crazy ass thing happening, you know? So when you're in, when you're talking to your parishioners, there's gotta be all sorts of things going through their minds. I mean, life is tricky for a human being and you're considered, right? A, a mouthpiece for something for the best parts of ourselves. Whether or not you believe in a higher power, the representation of that infinite love, this being, you're this mouthpiece. How do you help people reconcile with, this is a very long-winded question, but with everything that goes on in the world or in their own little microcosmic world of their family or their job or turning on the news, how do you do that? It's a very long question. <laughs> well, I, for, I loved hearing the story. And well, I'll, let me just warm up to the, an answer. I mean, I got, let me just think about it. But um, one, the Pope has recently been making a big deal. This was before COVID. I guess we got to be careful now, but eventually we'll, we'll be through this in God's time. The Pope made a big deal about, yes, there's a, a little more vandalism, yes, there's a little more this or there's that, but Catholic churches need to be open, and people need to be able to go into Catholic churches, whether they're Catholic or not, it doesn't make any difference, but, but there's something about a church or a temple, if people have prayed in there or brought their their raw suffering in there for consolation or whatever and i mean that uh, and in general if as long as there's not a ritual going on catholics tend to be very very patient and tolerant of whatever happens to come across a person when they're inside a church um and, oh i've seen people 
if people like dance around church, they're so happy, or just cry their eyes out, or take the the back of their hands and hit them as a grief against the the front of the pew or something like that. How do I try to like make keep people hopeful? Um, I try to remain hopeful myself uh, by by being in touch with with Jesus and and nurturing and nourishing my own kind of mystical life. I try the best I can to live like a citizen of heaven. You know, St. Paul says, we're citizens of heaven. And if you believe it, I do. My culture, I'm a U.S. person, but my culture is heaven. In my culture, we don't call people names. And that's not, doesn't mean I never called anybody a name, but I wasn't being true to myself. Because my culture is, we, if somebody asks us for something, we do it if we can. My culture is we forgive people, even if they're so ignorant they don't even know they should be asking for forgiveness. My culture is we worry about people that are uh, they can't take care of themselves or they don't have documents or they're, nobody else likes them because they smell bad. Or that's, that's my culture. When I'm living that culture and nourishing my own life, I'm happy and hopefully with the way I do mass or lead prayer or whatever, people pick that up too. And you should, um, uh, oh, I know there's a, there's a big dark side in the world now and a big lack of civility or kindness, but uh, I have no doubt there's more wonderful things going on than bad things. And we're just here in, in Chino starting to come back to our assemblies, we have mass outside. People are so happy to see each other. If you could see the looks on their faces or how they, even if they're wearing these masks, uh, the funny little things they express with their eyes or making big eyes at you or whatever, <laughs> or they try to make you laugh even when they should not be trying to make me laugh. But uh, anyway, I, I don't know if that answer, I don't remember the question. <laughs> I know. I it's a long-winded question, but... anyway. Yeah, I mean, how do how do you facilitate as as the mouthpiece for something that is supposed to personify love? I mean, I think that was a good answer. You you abide by the golden rule, as do. This is the thing that frustrates me so much about religion is that many people hold up their religion as like it's the it's that's it. And if you're if you believe something else, even if you're practicing feeding the homeless or or loving your neighbor or building a fence or I mean, as simple as a smile. To me, those moments they're everything. And I think we forget that miracles abound in minuscule moments. Yes, I oh my gosh, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. You know, one thing but, but uh you made me think of something else. You didn't ask this, but maybe a part of the way this is this is a very Catholic part of the thing that Catholics try to communicate the good news. The New Testament calls it, or whatever is the rituals. Uh, we're we're very ritualistic, which drives some people out of their minds because they think, "Oh my God, another ritual!" So much kneeling. Uh, yes, stand <laughs> the side of the cross. The longest wedding ever. <laughs> <laughs> 
but usually weddings or whatever, they're not long because of the ritual. They're long because of a windy priest <laughs> given, talking, talking too long. But the rituals themselves, they're not all that long, but they're kind of pathways to peace or maturity or a connection with something bigger than you are. And you may not feel happy when you start a ritual. Usually with me, by the time I'm at the done, at, at the end of a celebration of a sacrament or ritual, I feel, I feel good. Mm -hmm. And usually people feel good unless I talk too much or something like that. The, the, uh, there are some great Catholic preachers. Uh, I would say that probably we're, we're, not, we're not the most famous of all the Christian churches for having brilliant preaching going on. Ours is more the rituals and more these little paths of, of odd things we do that, that involve our bodies and sometimes physical things like water or oil or bread or wine or whatever. And, and we do these things and somehow the, feel the good news and, and transmit the good news. I think a lot of that ritual, personally, is to remind us of the connection. That I think we talked about this before too, like how many times it says, I am, or here I am, in the Bible, mm -hmm. it's a lot. You know, and that repetitive, if, I am, if I'm reading it and I keep saying I am, I am, maybe eventually my brain will go, oh wait, <laughs> I am. Yes, I am here. I am for you, I'm with you, I'm above you, I'm below you, I'm inside you. Uh, you can eat me off of this plate, you can drink me from this cup, you can take me in through your ears, you can read me through the scripture. I'm, I'm in here. the forest. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the, the don't, you don't nature. have to be in a church. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, that's the other thing too. It's the, okay, well here's an omnipotent being and then there are some people who worship an, an omnipotent being and then take away that omnipotence. To, to fit their own narrative. You know, that's that's always marveled me as well. You know, I, I'd like to touch on, uh, do you believe in things like demons and and that like? Uh, forces of evil, yes. That evil has an intelligence and a cleverness about it, yes. Um, I wouldn't, I'm really not one that's had a lot of experience like with uh, exorcism type movies with, you know, people's heads turning around in a circle or, or stuff like that. I've seen evil, to me, um, evil in its, in its most dramatic forms is usually easy to deal with. It's when evil is present in people being hard-hearted or mean-spirited or cruel or so avaricious, so anxious for money, they just do anything to get more money. They don't care if someone doesn't have enough to eat. That to me, that's more, much more dangerous and much more seductive. And that to me is evil. That's, that's real evil. Everybody knows to run away from someone if they're vomiting green, you know, but that's, <laughs> that's yeah. evil's a lot sneakier than that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's very well put. Absolutely. Uh, have you given uh, Have you given any sort of uh, I call them lectures. I know that's not what they're called. Hom homily uh, recently that you found 
really spoke to right now. It's something that the listeners might really enjoy. Oh gosh. Well, uh, this Sunday, uh, the gospel that, that uh, the Catholics are going to hear it talks about a king who throws a banquet and invites people to come. He, and uh, this, the strange thing is the people, they don't want to come. So he ends up, if at first he invites people that are kind of on the social register, then he ends up just inviting everybody. And then he says, oh, for heaven's sakes, make them come in. Go in, go to the alleys and find the drunks and the addicts and push them in. Uh, I want this, I want, I want a banquet. I want people to be here. I want to enjoy it. And the, I mean, but that's, I'm preparing to give something. I think I have the Spanish masses this weekend. But uh, about if, if there were this great party and you didn't have to pay and you, you could drink and drink and not get hung over and eat and eat and not get fat and be with all these people and the, why, why in the world wouldn't you go to the party? I mean, do you think the king doesn't know how to throw a party? Uh, do you really think this, these kind of silly things we hold on to, our own grudges, you know, or our own, our own uh, petty desires or our own neuroses, do you think you really get more pleasure out of hugging them than, than, than moving forward to heaven and living like a citizen of heaven? I mean, that's what I'm going to talk about. But I, yeah. I like this idea of a citizen of heaven. Of behaving on earth as if you, as you would carry yourself in a celestial palace, you know, <laughs> you yeah. would maybe not be so apt to, to treat people with bully energy, which I think there is an abundance of these oh, days. Oh yes. If you could chatter with uh, Jesus, what would you want to talk about? What would be the first thing that would pop to your brain? This, Jesus as a man. This, Obviously, you talk to Jesus all the time. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah I, this isn't going to be a, a very satisfying answer for an interview, but I, I would don't think I'd talk to him about anything. I, I would just look at him and smile and have him smile back to me, and we, we would just kind of feel each other's presence. I, uh, like when you were on the bus when you were little. Yes. And when I pray, everybody's got their own way of praying. And... I mean, if you're a Catholic, we have rituals we do in common, but otherwise, how you pray, that's so personal. The, the, the scripture says the Spirit will lead you into the prayer that's right for you. Especially as I've gotten older, but maybe maybe most of my life, most of my prayers have been nonverbal. I just feel union. And I don't, I don't feel the need to ask for things or, or complain about things or even, even thank specifically. I just enjoy it are you cared for as a priest do they pay for everything like housing food travel all of that well, well not f uh, travel but yes pre oh I, sometimes people think oh they're making such a huge sacrifice to be a priest priest if they're a happy priest it, it doesn't seem like a sacrifice at all if you mean uh, financially is there a salary typical yes yeah, okay financially priests uh, get free room and board. Well, that's a parish priest I'm talking about. Most parish priests get free room and board. Well, that's huge. Insurance, 
That's huge. You, have, you get a salary. The salary, oh, it's like maybe between 25 and 30, depending on diocese, maybe um, like between two and $3,000 a month. And out of that, you pay your car, your clothes, your personal expenses, your travel, if you like going on vacations and stuff like that. And food, I guess. And food, room and board. Oh, room and board. But if you, I mean, if you wanted to go out and live it up a little, go to Paris for a lunch or something, you'd have to, you'd be, you'd be expected to pay for that. I don't think you better be bringing that bill to the to the parish, unless there was somebody whose head was spinning, and then you could maybe write it off. (laughs) Maybe, yeah, maybe. There's this French girl. Her head is spinning. There's pea soup to, everywhere. I had to go. I couldn't She's wearing help a beret. I've got to get there. <laughs> we had to have champagne. Oh Lord! Uh, but no, I would say that we're we're fine. I mean, it's not a. I would probably people priests have generally have us. Uh, they're educated a little bit. You have a doctorate. You could, yeah, I, but, yeah. Yeah, yes. and theology. Let's not, I mean, that's that's no small feat. So, but, uh, so we could probably make more money doing other things, but that, nobody, well, I don't think anybody would ever think of being a priest for money. But on the other hand, no, we're not desperately poor at all. Parish and priests aren't. Is it a lifelong uh, service, or do you retire? If, uh, it, Some we're, probably we're, do. We're priests, always, out of mercy for people, when we get to a certain age, we retire. We're, you know, not competent or efficient or effective to do certain things. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, I suspect this is true of of, uh, of of any religion. It's certainly true of Catholics. If you're not just a total meanie, people are so nice and so kind. Uh, it's people. Catholics are very, very kind and affectionate with priests we've i mean my goodness we've done everything i mean lately all the all this horrible abuse stuff i mean that's that's done a a certain amount of damage that maybe one good thing to bring out of it it was dreadful it was just awful was priests are not held in such high esteem anymore and probably that's good for everybody Probably Catholics need to remember, well, for heaven's sakes, he's only a priest. He's only a human being. And priests need to remember, I'm not God. And people aren't supposed to be kissing my foot every time I walk by. And I, I don't, I shouldn't be wanting the first place at the table. Well, then how do you feel about a pope then? I mean, doesn't his ring get kissed and stuff? And there's a hierarchy. They, don't, they generally don't do that, that kind only of thing anymore. But we, yeah, <laughs> yes. And it's all, of course, very colorful, all the curtsying and all the honorific sure. titles and stuff like that. The pope seems to me to be a, a pretty simple. I like this pope. Down to earth person. Oh, yeah. I'm crazy about him. Yeah. What is I'm that? crazy about Is that your phone again? That's probably oh, some more. That's the Pope. That's the Pope calling. <laughs> well, he's just going to have to wait. This is more important. <laughs> Did you ever have aspirations to move up the ranks? No, I've, I'm not a person without aspirations. I wanted to, um, I wanted to go to school, and I wanted to uh, to teach, and I wanted to to write. Well, I've gone to school and I have taught. I've done a little bit of writing, but not, not as much as I would have liked, but but I, it's because of what I'm doing that I'm very happy to do. When you hear confession, is it hard to 
maintain that calmness of I'm listening to someone say their deepest, darkest moments. Mm. And didn't also, are you bound by, is it bound by a... Oh, yes. This, if somebody said, I murdered, blah, 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 you can't go, you're bound by that, right? I absolutely I am. I was trying to re- remember if that was the thing. Oh, yes, I thought it was, but I couldn't yeah, That's recall. not theoretical. I, I expect most priests have had people come and confess murder or, or terrible things to them. You know, mm-hmm. terrible things. No, it's called that. That's called the sacramental seal. It is whatever happens. It's under a seal, and that's just not. And it's it's for a good reason. You know. Try Do you? <laughs> let's say somebody. I don't know what the worst confession you've ever heard, but I'm sure you heard some doozies. And then that person sits in your parish. He's one of your parishioners. How do you, as a human, as a priest, as a human, not keep that on your brain the whole time? Like, oh my gosh, this person did this thing. I'm not sure, but I, but I actually don't refer to it. And be, you, be, there's some, been some pretty grungy stuff. Okay, but um, no, I. I mean, I, I'm in touch with my own sins, so I'm not. I'm not just appalled if someone else has sins too. You understand your shadows, so you can understand I'm, others. I'm more than than I used to, for yeah. sure. I often say, I don't know what people are going to think of me for saying this, but when I hear of someone who has murdered someone else, I often think, I'm like, well, yeah, I'm capable of that. We all are. Everybody is capable of such thing. I, yes, I, I'd say I agree with you in this. With if, um, if I'd been raised like they were raised and had to put up with what they had to put up with. Or had the illness or had the lack of... And just yeah. was put in that situation where I was weak and this and that, absolutely. Yeah. Humans are fascinating. Yeah. They really are. I'm not going to lie, there, there's part of me, I, when I was so excited to meet you and I thought, man, what a life that would be. I think it would be such a cool and interesting and fascinating experience to spend a whole life talking with people and learning who they are and helping them through some of their darkest times and trying to hold their hand and say nothing because silence speaks volumes sometimes. Absolutely. Oh, silence is the most, the best thing sometimes, many times you can share with people. It is a wonderful life. I'll tell you that maybe a, a difficult part of it, sometimes uh, for me, uh, it's that sometimes people approach the rituals or whatever with a certain banality. That is, they they just want to talk to somebody, but they're not it. They don't really want to know their dark side too much. They just want to, want to feel good. Uh, don't take the sacraments too seriously. That makes me feel sad a little bit. But then I think, well, have I been trivial and superficial before? Oh yes, I guess I have. So don't be a big bully to them. If when when they're ready and when life's ready, life will knock them a little bit and they'll band-aids for bullet holes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that part probably is a, a a little bit of the of a suffering, maybe a priest or people maybe that. Uh, get married but what the marriage is mostly to have a social occasion and 
and make sure the right profile is shown and the dress is just right or this or that. We think, oh gosh, this is about a relationship or a covenant and it's, it's holy and, and um, dangerous and brave and, and risky. And, but, it, but no, I, I have a wonderful life. I mean, I, I do. Do you feel that there is room for the Catholic Church to change its its decree on marriage that that priests could get married and and still maintain their their ability to serve their community and their parishioners? Oh yes, I mean there've been married priests before in the life of the church. For me, celibacy has worked very well. I mean that's just the truth of it. It's uh, uh, it's a lot less complicated, I imagine. And Well, I mean, I guess it comes with its own complications, but in general. It allows me to be a lot more focused and a lot more free. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure I would have made a good husband, maybe because I would have always been wanting to do this stuff. Well, what, you don't want to be married to a guy when you're going to be second or third all the time. I think that might be very hard. And I think also when I've... Um, when I've had two jobs, uh, there was a time when I was half-time as a parish priest and half-time administrating in the Diocese of Monterey, it was very hard for me because if I was at the one, I was always aware that I wasn't doing a good job at the other. And that's just my own weird psychology. But uh, for me, it has worked okay. Uh, it, it, the celibacy thing has worked fine. And I choose it. Even if I didn't have to, I choose it now. Uh, I think before maybe I chose it because I, it was either that or I wasn't going to move forward with being a priest. But now I choose it anyway. Uh, but I can—I certainly can imagine somebody being a wonderful priest and married with somebody different than from me. Have you experienced a miracle aside from Jesus running alongside your school bus? <laughs> oh gosh, a lot of them. Is there anything that pops to mind? Um... Well, besides one conversation we had where just everything's a miracle. Sure, Human which I do believe. nature's a miracle, nature's Absolutely. a miracle, all this. I'll tell you one cool thing. To, yeah. I mean, just a nice story. When I was going to school at Berkeley, I was, I'd been a priest for um, three years. And I had a chance to go off to Berkeley uh, to, work, to work on a, a doctorate. Oh, my gosh, how many people get that? I was so excited. And uh, the summer came. And all the kids were going home or going on these adventures, and I thought, well, I, I want an adventure, and I, and I, I could have asked my parents for financial help, but I, but I didn't want to. I thought, well, for God's sake, you're you're in your twenties. I think you better stand on your own feet. I decided I was going to go on vacation. And Berkeley, back in those days, everybody, oh, what a wonderful place Berkeley was. But everyone was hitchhiking all over the place. So I got, did I tell you this? Okay. I thought it was June. I got my backpack. I put some food in there in my sleeping bag and thought, I'm going to the freeway. I'm going to hitchhike. I'm going to go north. I'm going to go down University and, and, and the freeway I'm going to, with a sign that said North or East and just let somebody pick me up and open myself up and just wander for a month. So, and I thought, I also was aware mid-20s is not 21, 22. I thought, I, there's going to be an awful lot of cute girls hitchhiking and good-looking guys 
and nobody's going to pick me up unless I get there very early. So I got there very early with my backpack <laughs> and my sign. Nobody picked me up. An Were you dressed as a priest? Oh, good heavens, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't pick up somebody dressed as a priest. I'd be scared. I would. I'd yell about it. <laughs> anyway, um, there I was. An hour went by. Two hours went by. Now there's a bunch of guys, young guys, and a bunch of cute girls. And I thought, no one's going to pick me up. I was about to leave. A car gets off the freeway, Highway 80, on University makes a U-turn and this guy is in there looking up and down every one of us. I thought, well, he's not gonna pick me. My gosh, he came over and said, get in, I'm, I'm going to, where was he going to? I'm going to Reno. I said, oh, I'd loved it, thanks. I got in the car and there we are driving and, and, and people, there isn't that much hitchhiking done anymore, but there were, oh gosh, back safe, then it was so much fun. It's probably not safe then either, but you know, that's a whole other story. But <laughs> This guy starts talking, because if you're driving and you pick up a hitchhiker, usually you want someone to- you Keep you from falling asleep. And yeah. to tell your yeah, stories to sure. So he said, he was talking about this and talking about that. Right away starts talking. Well, by this time we're in Richmond, California. It's only about 20 minutes north of Berkeley on the freeway. He says, do you want to hear something weird? I said, yeah, what? He said, he doesn't knows nothing about me, nothing. He said, I was born and raised a Catholic. That doesn't, that probably doesn't mean shit to you. But when you're born and raised with it, sometimes it's in your blood and it's not easy to shake. He said, I threw out all of that stuff uh, as soon as I got into college. And he said, look at me now. He said, he was, he said, I'm on the vice squad of the police in San Francisco. He said, I'm, I'm feeling the need to go back to church and I can't get enough nerve to go to a priest. Well, when he said that, I, I mean, I was, I became frightened because I thought if I tell him I'm a priest, he won't believe me and they'll think I'm making fun of me and I'm gonna lose my ride. So I just let, I said, you know what? I said, we just passed where I work at. And he said, oh yeah? He said, it was St. David's, it's a Catholic church. And he said, oh, are you, are, you, are you the janitor there? And I said, no. He said, I don't blame you if you don't believe me, but I'm a priest. I got sent up there, I lived there at that parish and work and, and go study at Cal or Berkeley GTU and he looked at me and um, I tried to think how can I prove I'm a priest I do I have a picture of me as a priest no I had a Bible in my backpack well that doesn't prove anything um, anyway we talked and talked and he did believe me and we were we were just climbing out of the valley, crossing over the Sierras. And he said, would you care if I pulled over and went to confession? And uh, I said, oh no, that'd be fine. He went to confession, then dropped me off in Reno. And that was sort of, I'd say that was a miracle. I would say that that pretty much hits the... <laughs> it was, my, when I started, when I, I hitchhiked, I came up with this idea, oh, my parents were just appalled. I said, what in the world is wrong with you? And when I called 
that night and told them because I said, see, nothing is, it, it started like this, nothing is going to happen. Don't fret. So yeah, that was, there's a miracle. Yeah. And you were, you were present for it. Yeah. Well, I w it was supposed to happen. Yeah. But I'm, I don't mean like you were present as in you were there. I mean, you were present for it. You, you saw it for what it, for what it was. I think a lot of times, and again, this maybe speaks to that it feels quite overwhelming to be a human sometimes, and you miss the minutiae. And as the silence can speak volumes, I think there are, I mean, there, I suppose it's silly to say there's no such thing as a small miracle. It's just a miracle. There's no need to put a, any kind of descriptor on it. But I do think that we miss things because we're so caught up in our own thoughts and, and such. Yeah, you I'm, know. I'm sure that's true. Yeah. yeah. So great talking with you, Father Mike. I've really enjoyed this. I am well aware that you have things to do, so I don't want to take up all your time, but I so appreciate you. I really well, do. Thank you, and I didn't know what this was going to be. I enjoyed it, too. It's nice to, nice to sit and talk. I yeah. enjoyed it. Thank you, Susan. I, I, yeah, and, and before we sign off, just really quickly, um, I'm curious... This is going to, this is, people ask me, oh, what's your favorite song? What's your favorite book? It's an impossible question. I know it's an impossible question. But in the Bible, is there a story that you are drawn to the most that you go back and reread over and over and over again? I wouldn't say I reread it, but I think about it often. This is Adam and Eve and the garden. And, um... I consider, someone once said that, you know, think of the story you like in the Bible and probably you like it because in some way or other it's a recurring story in your own life. And I would say that's been a story in my life and in and, 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 and this respect it's kind of odd. I would say born into my family, I was born into a garden. I mean Richmond, Indiana to me was paradise. Guess what? I was not supposed to be there, and part of growing up was leaving the garden. I don't consider that Adam and Eve shouldn't have disobeyed God, and they shouldn't have been arrogant and the rest of it. On the other hand, when Adam and Eve left the garden, uh, they started having children. They discovered what work was. They discovered something about good and evil. Uh, they had a, they had a, a harder life. But somehow, Adam and Eve outside the garden, they're more recognizable to me as human beings than Adam and Eve in the garden. And that's pr probably a, my own very odd, far-fetched interpretation of the story. But I would say over and over again, I've been placed in gardens uh, that were really nice, and then for some reason or other, uh, I did something that had me thrown out of the garden or I made a choice and went on to another part of life that wasn't a garden at first. And then after a while, it turned into a garden. But then it was time to leave because I, I think we're supposed to want gardens and enjoy gardens, but probably we're not supposed to live there forever or for keeps until heaven. Maybe heaven's the garden. Oh, what would you ever learn in a complacent state? Yeah. If you were always blissed out, in its own way, it, uh, you lose out on so much stuff. It sounds lovely, but even that would probably 
get a little monotonous after a while. <laughs> this is very unorthodox, but even Jesus left heaven. Mm. It's just kind of odd to think about things. It's, I'm sure there's something unorthodox yeah. about that some way or other, but it, the stories of the Bible, they don't mean one thing. Uh, they, they're, they're, they're on purpose, there's a mystery and there's a, an opaqueness to them. Yeah, I love it. So, yeah, it's that, fun that'd and, be mine. It's fun to get deep and philosophical about the stories of the Bible. Again, to have any one person say, it means this, end of story, oh. I find frustrating because, that, as you say, they use the word mystery, it loses the mystery, it, it loses the contemplation. Uh, the whole idea of giving us free will and free thought, you know, and not be able to use it seems seems insane. And absolutely, one of the uh, basic tenets of Catholic theology is the idea of mystery. Mystery is not something you can't understand a thing about. Mystery is something that's so full of meanings you cannot possibly contemplate all the meanings ever. There's it's depth on depth on depth. It's like uh, uh, the Hasidic Jews who spend a lifetime deconstructing the Torah, and the further they go in, the more questions arise. Absolutely. Fantastic. That's how I want to face any religious tome. I, I think that's the most exciting way to be. Yes, and to, to bring, let it bring you to that state. I think Karl Rahner said this, where you're so overcome by the sheer mystery of everything that it is you bow down in front of it and say I do not comprehend you but I love you and I trust you and I'm moving forward yeah love that thank you Father Mike thank you so much yeah, God bless you it's been a pleasure it has it been, been for me too thanks for listening everybody bye bye <laughs> rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts thanks for listening Bye.